0: Welcome to Alligator Preserves, everyone. I am your host, Laurel McCarg, and today we're going to talk about Sasquatches. That's right, Bigfoot, with author Linda, also known as L.V. Ditchkiss.
1: Welcome to Alligator Preserves, a weekly podcast about revealing yourself through storytelling, story reading, and story writing but probably not story arithmetic, because that's not a thing. You just might surprise yourself with the secrets you'll uncover.
0: Linda, welcome to Alligator Preserves.
1: Hi, Laurel. Thanks for having me today. I really appreciate being here.
0: I am so excited to talk about this series, which starts with book one, Crimes of the Sasquatch. But before we get into your series, I'm going to ask you, because you know yourself better than I do, and I know you pretty well, because truth be known, Linda and I uh, know each other. We're both from Salida, Colorado, and we're on the Chafee County Writers Exchange Group. We're both active participants so Linda, tell us, tell our listeners a little bit more about you and all the extracurricular activities you do.
1: Okay, great. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I retired from a job as an accountant uh, quite a few years ago, and actually there's no accountants in any of my books. So, you know, maybe that's a really good point. <laughs> but uh, at any rate, a long time ago, and since then I've really become very active in the writer community. And become a active writer myself. I have four books that are published, and then I'm working on a new science fiction series that will hopefully come out in the next year or two. Uh, but in addition to that, I belong to the J.D. County Writers Exchange, which Laurel knows all about. Great group of people uh, up and down the valley here, and they have a critique group that I'm involved with, and I also am, am part of a Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers Critique Group as well, Uh, And then there's another group from the library. And then last year, I had the honor of being a book judge for the self-published science fiction competition, which is an online competition, and put a team together of people from all over the world. We have some folks from Australia and other places, too, and got to read about 50 or so books uh, in that competition. So all science fiction, all self-published. So that was a lot of fun as well. So really enjoying being kind of immersed into the writer and author community.
0: And you're way too modest. You lead the the County Writers Exchange critique group. You 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 started it. And you lead it. You're too, You're way too modest. And well, and well, when you're not when you're not writing though,
1: you're all over the world. Well, we like to travel a lot, and that gives us a lot of ideas. And I tell you, all those long plane rides gives me lots of time to write and edit and think of new ideas as well. So it's a lot of fun. We're we're just hikers, snowshoers like to be out of doors all the time, as much as possible.
0: And we live in a beautiful place to do that as well. So before I ask you any of my specific questions, I'm going to do something with you that I haven't done with previous authors, if you're okay with that, uh, that I've interviewed. I'm going to ask you to give us your elevator pitch for your very unique Sasquatch series. Now, for listeners out there who might not know what an elevator pitch is, Imagine that you hop into an elevator and there's someone very important in there and you want to sell them on your new idea, your new book, your new whatever, but you have less than a minute to do it because you're just going up a floor or five. So you don't have very long to convince them to invest in you. What? How, how would you pitch your Sasquatch
1: series? Okay. No, that's a great question. I appreciate that. So I guess I would say that the book is about this. Big city detective actually comes from Chicago, moves to small town, Salida, Colorado, and he's looking for a missing six-year-old boy. But to find the boy, he has to hook up with a wilderness savvy woman, a man on the autism spectrum, and a bunch of Bigfoot believers. And the story just kind of goes on from there.
0: It certainly does. Why did you choose Salida as a place to set your story in?
1: Yeah, that's a good question, too. Uh, You know, living in Salida, I think we really have come to appreciate the sense of the small town and how much of a sense of community there is. Another part of it is is even the crime fighting aspects or the criminal aspects of it. A lot of people know each other and know about each other. And I think that dynamic for a story, I think, is, is a cool premise, too, that what do people know? What are people hiding? What are they keeping in reserves? Uh, what do they know, and they don't want to share? Um, and how easy it is to walk around and find clues. Frankly, too, you're in New York City. If there's a small nugget of something that you need to find the find to solve the crime, it's not so easy to find it if you're in the middle of Manhattan. But in Salida, you might even trip over it pretty easily. And so, I think all of those parts of the setting made it a really good place to do that.
0: Awesome. So this is it's kind of a murder mystery. Kidnapping—you've got a lot going on here. How would you characterize your series? You know,
1: it's it's considered sci-fi, and and the reason I say that too is because last year I was honored because the Colorado Authors League um, awarded me first prize in science fiction for the series. Actually, yeah, I was just thrilled. to pieces, um, so I think it sits firmly in sci-fi because of kind of the scientific elements. Um, the other thing is I try to keep the Sasquatch concept very true to what the believer community understands and what they believe. Um, And and there's, um, I made it really very, very careful that the people that are the believers in the book, they're not disparaged at all. They're very well respected. They're very intelligent people. They're very community-minded people. Um, And so hopefully I handled all of that in a very respectful way as well. Um, And so it does fit firmly in, in the scientific community. Yeah.
0: How did the idea of a Sasquatch story series, how did that idea capture your muse?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had a a neighbor, um, his name was Jim Finn. He unfortunately has passed away about a year ago, but he was an avid Sasquatch believer. And he had been on several hunts. They lived in Bayfield, Colorado for quite a while where my understanding is they could hear activity from Sasquatch even from the porch where they lived i mean he talked about it in great detail and so it was just kind of a cool concept i thought that that there are these beings out there and that you know do you have to suspend belief i don't know i guess if there's very few of them and they're very long lived they could certainly be out in the woods and be kind of among us, and we would never catch up with them. So I tried to come up with rational scientific reasons about why they would be able to hide themselves, you know, how they communicate and those sorts of things, what kind of language that they would have, whether or not they are kind of more animal and ape-like, or are they incredibly intelligent beings? And so that's where I could have my own kind of writer's license with um, because as an author, you're you're allowed to do that. You can make up a story, as long as it sounds plausible, you can make up a story that you want to. So that's kind of where that got pieced together as well. Uh, but yeah, Jim had a huge influence on it, a huge influence. And a really awesome. influence. I really enjoyed his
0: input. Yeah, I wish he could have read them all. Uh, so now I, yeah. I have to mention the man behind you. <laughs> this guy? Yeah, that that guy behind you uh, on your Read the Sasquatch series LV Ditchkiss banner that you have. Um, I have been to Comic-Cons with you, and you have had him up there in other book events. And I got to tell you, you could make a million dollars selling just a banner of him. (laughs) 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 But along with that idea, when I look at him, and again, he, you worked with an artist to create your Sasquatch and he is your vision of this Sasquatch community. So I want you to talk a little bit about how your vision of the Sasquatch and their community differ from probably what a, most people think of when they think Bigfoot.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, we don't have any photographs um, first of all nobody does I think we've got some blurry photos of people in the woods and stuff like that
0: on your book cover there there's maybe, exactly. maybe.
1: Well, that, that was yeah could be that, and that was actually a photograph that we had from Rocky Mountain National Park actually <laughs> but uh, but you know again it's, it's all kind of murky and blurry and we really don't know um, and so when I started working with the artist one of the couple of the key components that I wanted to focus on was intelligence. Um, I wanted him to be kind of cunning, smart, thoughtful. And I think that's where the artist really captured his, his expression, is he seems like he, he really can kind of work things out at a very high level, maybe even higher than a human being level. Uh, and so that was really, really an important feature to me. The other part, of course, is the hair. He needed lots of hair. uh, And the fact that he would have long hair in some parts and short hair in other parts, I thought was pretty important. And I also wanted him to be, you know, attractive. (laughs) And so that was all part of what I asked the author or the artist to try to put together for me. So this is what he ended up looking like. Um, and, And I do think he looks like all of those things. He looks not just incredibly attractive, But also very fit because he lives outdoors and he lives in an environment where he has to be moving all the time. So he, of course, is very, very fit. Uh, But he also has this look that he really knows a lot more than you expect him to know. And so that was really what I wanted in his personality as well. So I guess as an author, you do get a lot of creative license. And so if there is a Sasquatch, this is what I think Sasquatch looks like. So I
0: I approve and most people who see him (laughs) also approve.
1: (laughs) One of these days, maybe I'll have to have them create a female equivalent to my male Sasquatch. Well, so uh, well, in in,
0: in the follow-on books in the series, careful no spoilers. I, I won't I won't spoil, <laughs> but we learn more about the Sasquatch community. Do you want to talk at all about the community?
1: Well, I, I think only from the perspective of again, if if a Sasquatch exists, which is certainly what the first book is about, is even whether or not there is a Sasquatch or community, but I would believe that there is a Sasquatch community, that they would be very uh, dedicated to each other. They would be very family oriented. I also believe that they would have very small nuclear families. And a big part of that is because there aren't a lot of them. And because I'm not sure that there's been any authenticated sightings of young children Sasquatches here. And so those things all had to be kind of considered when I put together the storyline of the book as well, um, is how that would fit together.
0: Okay. You have some very unusual characters in your series, one I particularly do not like. So good job on that, because, you know, (laughs) to, to have a reader feel any kind of emotion when they're dealing with characters is, is a good thing. So yeah, you did that really well. Um, tell us a little bit, bo- a little bit about your main characters and then, and then is, do you have a favorite one when you'd want to do lunch with?
1: Okay. No, that's a good question. Um, huh? So all of my characters, they have their flaws, you know? So even my detective, um, he's not a very good detective. And I think anybody that reads the series you know there there are other people that are even like journalists and stuff that are sort of doing the same thing he's doing, looking for the same stuff, and they're just miles ahead of him all the time. So he is not a very good detective and and he keeps you know being dedicated to, to that career path, but he he doesn't he doesn't think out of the box. He doesn't I mean, take a lot of initiative sometimes. He really kind of looks for things to sort of fall in his way. And and I think a lot of people will notice that. I mean, not in a funny way. It's just that's the way he lives his life. That's his personality. Uh, and so I think that people, readers, will kind of see that in him and, and maybe empathize with him a little bit, too, because he's not a bad person. He's just not a very good detective. Um, and then there's you know a very athletic person in, in the first book. Uh, she's a big part of that story. Uh, maybe a little bit of a romance interest there between her and the detective possibly going to happen in there. Um, And she's kind of every woman's hero. She's independent. She's smart. She knows what's going on. And uh, I think people kind of warm up to her pretty quickly. That's, you know, I think that's one of them. I did. (laughs) And then there's another gal that's in the story that has been a victim a good chunk of her life and bad things have happened to her. And she's made a few bad choices that come back to bite her. And so she's another character that hopefully people will, I mean, she's not a bad person. She's just run into some bad luck and hooked up with some not so great people. And I hope people will kind of give her a little bit of license that, that she's still, you know, trying to be a good person and make some good decisions at some point in the book too. So um, a lot of the people, like I said, are, are kind of flawed. Um, some of the other characters that happen later in the book, you'll see them there. Some of them, you really don't know if they're good people or not. And sometimes they turn out not so good. And sometimes people are just naive and they have the best part of them comes out when it needs to. So I think it's a real mixture, a real mixture. I, you know, I draw, I think all authors do, they kind of draw on experiences and, and nobody in my book is, oh, this is this person, but certainly Almost all of my characters are kind of an amalgam of different people that I've known over the years or experiences that I've had. You know, I'm sure you do the same thing, Laurel, in your writing as well, um, is that you couldn't say that, oh, so-and-so is, is this particular person, because they're not. But definitely an amalgam of many, many people that I've met over the years. So it's a lot of fun your, that way.
0: Your, your character on the autism scale, mm. he, he's wonderful. <laughs> and artistic
1: and did you know someone like that so yeah and actually one of the books is, is dedicated to my my nephew that lives in Kansas City and uh he he is, is i would say highly functioning uh, on the autism spectrum and, but he has many of the similar traits that the gentleman that's in the book does what i w- wanted to be sure of is that I, I, you know, in autism, you know, there's a range. Obviously, people—you can't say that this is the characteristics of a person who has autism because that—that's just not true. You know, all of them, all the different individuals have different characteristics. But I tried to pick the kinds of characteristics that I was familiar with from my nephew, um, and I also—I also wanted to bring out his personality because you can't just look at those maybe unusual characteristics and say, that's the person because the person is really somebody that's underneath. It's the heart of the person that, that is behind or underneath all of maybe little quirks or or oddities or places where they find comfort. And so that's, that's where a lot of that character comes from as well. Um, And he actually uh, directs Dylan, the detective in a number of cases and Gets him to see things a different way, and gets him to solve some of the mysteries because of his influence and friendship with the detective as well. You so. did a really, really beautiful job with him.
0: Who do you want to spend lunch with?
1: <laughs> well, you know, there's there's maybe the guy, one the guy I would like to spend just well just <laughs> yeah that guy. Because maybe I would want to take half my lunch and like mush it in their face, you know, because they're not a nice person Or there's people I would like to sit and talk with. a Well, yeah, I think I'd like to have lunch with, with this guy, you know, for sure. I, I think he might like hummingbird food. I don't know why I know that, but I think that he might. So I might have something. And actually, I'll, if I had to bet, he's a vegetarian as well. So um, I'd have to pick the right restaurant if I was going to go to lunch with him. I, mean, I don't know. May, maybe get him to put like a coat on or something too. I don't know how welcome he would be received. No, <laughs> I'll but have lunch with him too. Thank you very maybe much. He's, <laughs> he's got a fur coat on already. I guess. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> your
0: the, your descriptions of places uh, make me smile. They they're they're just gorgeous, and they get even more gorgeous as you get into the series and we go different places. And I won't say any more about that, but you know, in in one scene when he's visiting Sue at the farm, you describe the farm and then the next page she's, she's picking uh, random pieces of straw from her sweater. So it's you, you beautifully introduce and take us into the place and remind us of where we are with your writing. So I just, I wanted to thank you for that.
1: Okay. Thanks. I do have kind of a rule about those places too. So a lot of the places, especially in the first book, do really exist in in Salida and in the surrounding areas. But I do have a personal rule about that, and that is if um, if any of the places something really bad happens in those places, like somebody or something is murdered or whatever, those places do not exist. Um, and I've kind of chosen maybe a general geographic area of where those are, but um, but I just make sure that that there isn't a real place that I make something bad happen in. Um, just a personal rule. Well, I, I think that's a good rule.
0: And your travels and your travels, I'm just imagining that that they have somehow informed your ability to create these amazing places. Is there a favorite place you've traveled or a place you've traveled where you've said oh my gosh, I need to use this lake or this mountain or this whatever as a place setting
1: yeah well, you know and that's a great question I mean I think a lot of these places sort of blend into your mind and so when you when you are writing about them I, I think you kind of envision that scene almost like watching a movie and then you kind of picture where you are and where the mountain might be in the background and reflection in the lake and, and whether that again is like an amalgam of places that I've seen before or something from my photo album or any of those outdoor places, I I think those are those influences come to play while I'm writing about it. Because frankly, a lot of my travel is in a lot more. um, They're they're not so rural. (laughs) A lot of like I've done a lot of hiking in Europe, where you continuously see pastures and little farms and uh, those sorts of things. And that's not really what the places are that are described in my books. They're really a lot more remote. Um, But my husband and I, we do a lot of hiking and snowshoeing and we do try to find places where there aren't a lot of other hikers or people out and about. Uh, so maybe that's where some of that comes from, too. But it would sure be hard for it to be a national park because there's an awful lot of people in national parks. And and probably,
0: um, probably no Sasquatches. You probably look for places where you might come across one or two. This,
1: this picture came from Rocky Mountain National Park. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Uh, talk to us a little about some of the cultural dilemmas, or more—you have know, both moral and cultural dilemmas um, that your Sasquatches have to deal with. Hmm.
1: Um, okay, cu- um, maybe maybe culturally. Yeah, and and so I guess they'd have a couple of different things, and that would be culturally amongst their own if they if they exist, um, and so. All societies, I think, uh, come up with their own rules. Certainly rural communities versus urban communities versus different countries in the world. Everybody comes up with sort of what's appropriate and how people behave. And if there is a Sasquatch community, they certainly would have that as well. Um, And so in a world building perspective from an author uh, to create a different world or a different society, you'd really have to think about are there male and female roles that are different and and if they're different than what the human world would be like what would be their ro- roles and what would be barriers in any of those roles because they don't have to be exactly like what we have and so yeah so as an author you'd have to really think hard about what would their political structure look like and and how does that blend with what their unusual communication structure might look like and and their geographic Perspective of where they are and what would be their their religion, what would they believe in, or how would they feel about babies and birth, and uh, what they would do if if there was somebody that was disabled within their community. Uh, how would they view that? And so, I think an author has to think about all of those things. And I certainly did when I was creating the world that I think that they might exist in as well. You did. And you
0: made it really unique, surprisingly unique and wonderfully unique. You've got to read all the books, listeners out there. You just you just have to. Um, When did you decide to make it a series? So you write book one. And then what happened?
1: So I I always had an idea that there were going to be three books. Um, And part of that came actually from an influence from another author, Um, He wrote The the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Mm -hmm. and and most people think of those books as a a three book, but actually, he passed away before he could write all of the books. I think there was going to be five or seven of them in his series, but he really wanted to write a book that was a statement on Swedish society, and what I found really intriguing about his works is that he didn't stick totally to the same genre. Like if you read each of the three books that are people are very familiar with, the first book is a total crime story. It's the same people that are in all the books, but it's a crime story and, and begins and ends with that. And the second book, there's no crime really committed at all. And it really is kind of exploring that um, Samander, I think, is the lead character's name. But it's it's following her and finding out about who she is and her mission to find out who she is herself. And then the third book is really a statement on Swedish society. And so when I started crafting this Sasquatch series originally, that's what I was looking for. And so in the first book, we have a crime story. And in the second story, this detective is really on a mission to find out who he is and how he fits within the world and within society. And then the third book is a statement on a society and a a statement on what that might look like. And so... Kind of as an homage to um, that author, I went ahead and put together in that way. And then, so when I got finished with it, I talked to some of my beta readers <laughs> and said, "So, what do you think? It's done, right?" And my first beta reader said, "No, no, 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 no. We still have things to find out. We want to know what happened to so and so and this character or whatever." And I'm like, "Okay." And I talked to another beta reader, and he said, "No, no. I think that's it. Three is good enough." And I said, "That's great." He says, "He says, but." what you need to do is in the back of the book, you need to write in what happened then for the rest of the lives of those people. And I was like, well, well, you know, they're not real people, right? I mean, really, this is it, you know, when the book ends, you know, nothing. And and so what it came, what I came to believe by him saying this was I think he's not done with the characters. And so that's how the fourth book came about. And it was really great fun to write it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Plus, I love the
0: cover. Passage of the Sasquatch with this awesome, funky van down here. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna show, and and listeners, you're gonna have to go to the YouTube uh, presentation of this because I'm showing the covers. Is this book one, Crimes of the Sasquatch? Now, I have no idea why I don't have a book two. I couldn't find my book two, but there is a book two. And then, and then there's a book three, Legacy of the Sasquatch, with this. Really kind of creepy looking, I don't know, embryo or baby or something. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the book four. Now four books. Uh you leave us with the possibility of another at the end of book four. Mm Are you are you working on a book five? Is this gonna be is this gonna be the rest of your life? We're gonna (laughs) be with these Sasquatch
1: people. Well, that's a possibility, and there there could be a fifth book for sure. I've left I've left some open ends in there, some things that could be tied up. I've put some characters in there that were just touched on in book three and four that I think would be really interesting characters to follow up on. So I've left some threads for myself to put a fifth book in there. Um, but it has not been, you know, roughed out or anything like that. But that's because most of my time over the past two or three years has been spent working on my next book, which is a more hard boiled science fiction book. We'll,
0: we'll, we'll get to that.
1: But you, so you have four
0: books for the Sasquatch series. And I was satisfied with the ending of the fourth book, mm-hmm. although I, I did see that you could leave an opening. So I think that. When you know your muse says uh, we have more to do with this community, then you'll get to it. And I think that's uh, the perfect place to be as an author, right? You've mm-hmm. done something successfully, you've won awards, and you've left this reader anyway satisfied. So, so good on that. All right, let's let's talk about your next okay. book. Why not? Because what's next if you're not going to do book five right away? <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so it's, um, it's a, again, kind of hard-boiled science fiction, and I've been actually reading a lot of more hard-boiled science fiction too. They say one of the things that all authors should do is spend a lot of time reading other authors' works, especially good works, um, and, and I've certainly read a lot of good books during that you know self-published science fiction competition, um, especially the, the one that I really liked was called Steel Guardian, excellent book. Um, And I would recommend that to anybody. But the other book that I've been reading lately, too, um, is this book. And actually, there's going to be a movie about that coming out next year, too. Uh, Andy Weir's Project Hail Mary. And for people that are more moviegoers than book readers, uh, he was the one that wrote The Martian, you know, that was a Matt Damon movie that came out um, about, I don't know, about three or four years ago. But this book, uh, Project Hail Mary, is going to be a movie next year. Uh, 2023. I think Ryan Gosling is going to be starring in that. But uh, excellent book. Really, really excellent book. And I think reading books, especially as the quality of Andy Weir's writing, uh, is really important for any author to really immerse yourself in in quality writing. Um, Andy Weir is a master at world building, in developing characters that you can't even imagine or wouldn't have even seen in a dream. I mean, it's just really really incredible. Uh, He does such a good job of uh, putting together a character that has such a personality, but you wouldn't have imagined it on your own. Uh, And then, and also making it incredibly readable. You know, there's always in every book, there's a stumbling point or a place where you go, huh, you know, I just find that kind of an interesting segue or something. But in this particular book by Andy Weir, it just went on beautifully. And you can relate to the characters and you really are just championing them the whole time. And so I really wish that some of that will go into my book as well, because that's what in the reading, you know, it hopefully will transition into the kind of things that you're putting together for yourself as well. Um, But at any rate, so I've been trying to learn from others while I've been writing. Like I said, it's been a couple of years now that I've been working on this and uh, hopefully, um, you know, I'll be able to move forward with it too. Do so. you want
0: to tell us the title? Do you want to give us a little bit about what it's about?
1: Sure. Um, yes. It's called um, Cromwell. The working title is Y Returns. And the book is about two women that come from 200 years in the future. They time travel to roughly our time to steal sperm from a man and go back to their time um, after becoming pregnant to save humanity. And, and in order to do that, when they get back, things are, a lot of things are in their way about preserving these little boys, these little babies that are going to be born. And so they have to fight terrorist groups and these questionable government actions and, and nefarious AI. And while all of this is going on, one of these pair believes that she might have fallen in love with the guy they stole the sperm from and decides that she wants to steal a time capsule and go back and save him. So that's all oh my the goes on.
0: <laughs> there, there's a great elevator elevator pitch. <laughs> that's wonderful. Oh my gosh. And you're going you're going to the Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers Conference in a few weeks right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yes, looking you are.
0: Because I'm going with you. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out it's to the Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers. We're really looking forward to that. And mm-hmm. I, along with Linda, I'm sure would recommend that any writers out there go to conferences, meet people, listen to their experiences, what they've done, the challenges they've faced um, to, to help your own writing. And it's it'll be great fun and a great place to network too. So yay. Um, yeah. Speaking of Shout outs. Do you have shout-outs to people you would like to acknowledge?
1: Besides Andy Weir, you mean besides Andy? <laughs> Andy, are you listening?
0: <laughs>
1: I'll send him a I'll send him
0: a link to this, to this
1: video. Would you please? Yes, I'm sure he's way wait, really waiting for my endorsement on his book. <laughs> and actually he, he's going to be looking for some endorsements. He is one of the finalists for I think it's the Hugo Awards this year. Um, and I think those are going to be announced in September. So this particular book is, is up for that um, as well. So I wish him well, <laughs> very much so, very much so. But you make a really good point about conferences. And that's, I guess, another part of the writing journey that I think is so important, in addition to reading a lot of good books, is just rubbing shoulders with other authors. Um, you know, Laurel, I think you find that really important in your own work as well getting good beta readers and a good critique group and talking with people that are in the industry. It it really is incredible how much you can learn about your own craft by evaluating the work of others, by giving people feedback, by, you know, looking at your own work more critically. I think that's a huge part of that. Um, What's going to be a lot of fun is these critique groups that I'm in too, especially the Rocky Mountain Fiction Writer one. We've got people from all over the country that are participating in that. It's all in Zoom. So, Uh, A lot of them are going to get together at this conference as well. So I think it's going to be really fun to see some people face to face that I see usually once a week on a Zoom call for these um, critique groups, too. So it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun in that regard, too. And one Um, of
0: your short stories is in an anthology that they've put together, correct?
1: It is. It is. That was pretty exciting. The Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers, every other year they put together an anthology, a competitive anthology, Um, So I was super honored that my short story was selected for that. Um, What was your, what was um,
0: that story about?
1: It was uh, the, the anthology is recrafting old stories. So like for instance, recrafting a fairy tale or something like that. So what I recrafted was the story from the opera Carmen. And if you don't remember that story from that opera, it's about kind of this really spicy hot woman that leads this poor fellow astray and into a life of crime. And then eventually he kills her when she falls in love with the Torah doer. But in my story, the poor unfortunate man that's tortured by this woman is an AI character in a program. And he's tortured by a woman that is using this program and is starting to try to cast him away. And he's not really happy about that. And so it deals with what he is able to do as a program and what even she might want him to do as a program when they have this struggle of wills. So
0: that's amazing. And this anthology, is this anthology available?
1: Um, it Amazon? is available on Amazon. It's called okay. The Bizarre Bizarre. And it's available on Amazon now. And there's going to be, I think, on the 1st of September uh, in the Denver area, there's going to be a... Um, you know, like a big gala thing at a Barnes and Noble in the Cherry Creek area. I think it is, unfortunately, because we live so far away, I'm not going to be attending that and it's right before the conference, um, but it'll also be for sale at the conference as well or on Amazon and Barnes and Noble is going to be selling it too. So, but Absolutely. the other, and the other stories are great too. I've, I haven't had a chance to read them all because I don't have a copy of the book yet, but I've seen the synopsis of some of the other stories. And again, there's one about Pygmalion rewritten and some fairy tales and, Um, I think people got really creative about what they submitted. So I I want to say, I think there was a couple hundred submissions for this. So I was really just tickled, you know, that mine ended up being one of the ones selected.
0: As well you should be. And so where can people find you and your works?
1: So my books are available on Amazon, for sure. Um, All four of the Crimes of the Sasquatch books, and they would have to look under L. V. Ditchkus if you go into Amazon to do that. So L. Period V. Period Ditchkus to get to those. And that's
0: and that's D. I. T. C. H. K. U. S.
1: Correct, correct. Or if you live in the Salida area or Buena Vista area, there's a bookstore right here in Salida, and they sell those books as well, as well as Laurel McCarty's books. (laughs) Great, great little bookstore. So anybody that's going going to be in Salida to take advantage of the river or the great hiking or the mountain biking. I mean, there's really fun things to do in Salida and it seems like every weekend there's either a beer festival or a music festival or a fiber arts festival or whatever. Make sure you stop in at that little bookstore. It's called the book Haven and it's right there on kind of the main drag or the main street and a great, great fellow um, that runs. John, John Cameron. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. The book Haven Mm -hmm. slash Salida books. Right. Yeah. Right on F Street. It's wonderful. You you've already given our listeners a lot to think about and and a lot of advice for writers. Is there anything else you would want to tell our listeners or any other advice you would want to give to budding authors?
1: Yeah. You know, I think for for budding authors, just a couple of things. I guess one of the things is just keep writing. And I I think that that sounds so simplistic, but If you've got an idea in your head, write it down. Um, If it's the beginning of your story, just keep writing until you just can't write anymore. And then at some point, go and find yourself a team or a clan or a group of people that that will excite you about the process and will excite you and even give you some suggestions about some of the places where you can go to fine tune your craft. Um, Because I think everybody that starts writing thinks that they've written a masterpiece until they really look at what kinds of things that they don't know. So we've all been through that. I'm still going through that. You know, all authors still, there's plenty to know about construction and about, um, you know, how to develop the characters, how to develop the world, whatever. Um, And there's lots of good resources too. And certainly if you have a good team, good strong team, you'll, uh, you'll learn all of those things and they'll help you through that too. So I guess that would be my big, advice for anybody who's writing and just don't stop and and if it doesn't feel like oh I don't know if I've got a novel in me write short stories you know I know Laurel is uh great at flash fiction and competes in a lot of uh flash fiction competitions and it just really keeps you sharp and keeps you writing and and she does a fantastic job with that as a matter of fact I think that you also gotten some accolades and gone to some pretty high levels in those competitions as well. Thank you, This this isn't about me. (laughs) ah, You're saying that, but I mean, it's really about authors too. So I do think that people just go to where your sweet spot is and have fun and really enjoy the writing process because it's so creative, so creative. That's one of my things that I always say too. It's funny. You know, when you say that your hobby, hobby or craft or your profession or whatever is writing, um, I find it kind of funny when people do this after retirement and you tell somebody, well, you know, I'm writing a novel or I've written a couple of novels. And the first thing that people will say is, are you published? <laughs> you know? And it's and it's three, it's hysterical because if I had said, well, I've started pottery making, it wouldn't enter a person's mind to say, well, you think you're going to develop a museum piece anytime soon? You know, nobody would think to say that. But boy, if you say you're writing, first question, are you published?
0: <laughs> yes, yes. And, and don't be afraid of the hundreds of cajillions of people out there who are published because you have your own voice. And mm-hmm. I don't care if you've done the same thing a million other people have done, you're different from those million other people so write with your voice and and your story and yeah and if you haven't heard of NaNoWriMo National Novel Writing Month NaNoWriMo.org November's coming up faster than we know and Linda your your point about just writing just write 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 don't edit that's the that's the the goal of NaNoWriMo is for you to try to challenge yourself to write 50,000 words in 30 days which sounds impossible it's not I believe we've both done it and it it really helps you get to that point where blah you just get a bunch of stuff out of your head and onto paper you save the editing for later editing will come lots and lots and lots of editing will come later just you know expect that but yeah a, a lot of people talk about writing books but m- m- the majority don't so to actually say you're going to write a book and do it is huge so do it, mm-hmm. just do it. Someone yeah, said that yeah. once. <laughs> well, Linda, I am really looking forward to going to the Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers Conference with you. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to learn a lot. And listeners out there, I will have links and photos on my website at leadvillaurel.com. You can also find me at laurelmacarg.com. I'm still going to be Leadville Laurel, even though I live in Salida because I love the alliteration. So, Linda, you will send me maybe some pictures. And I will find links to the things that you mentioned, and I will send you know this copy of this to, to Andy, and um, maybe he'll <laughs> maybe he'll want to interview you. Maybe he'll want to interview <laughs> you next. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> thank you again, and listeners out there, thank you for listening to Alligator Preserves, and uh, we'll see you next time when we'll have a completely different person and talk about completely different things.
1: Thanks for this opportunity to chat with people world. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome, Linda. Bye-bye. Alligator Preserves is hosted and produced by Laurel McCard with technical support provided by her husband, Mike McCard. Follow her on her website at ledvillelaurel.com where she writes about life, real and imagined. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy her books. Find her work at Amazon.com.